So Lord, we thank you for gathering your people together today, whether they're here in person on the College Park campus or whether it's at home in living rooms across town, even across the country. We know we have friends and loved ones tuning in today. And God, we wanna open this time and pray for peace. We wanna pray for your goodness to reign. Lord, we know one of the fruit of the spirit is peace. And you say, blessed are the peacemakers. So God, amidst all the the trial in our country, the strife, Lord, give us peace in the midst of this pandemic. Lord, give us peace while we wrestle through issues in our culture of race and justice. And Lord, may your church be the light in the darkness. May your son Jesus himself be the brightest light that leads your church into goodness, into victory, and to being a gospel people of peace, being peacemakers. And God, we pray today as we've gathered that as we worship you and we lift your name on high, that your name would be glorified, that we call attention to your glory, and that the things we do today, the meditations of our heart, the words of our mouth be pleasing to you. And may this offering of worship be a sweet fragrance. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. Amen. Yeah, let's stand together. And as we continue to enter in, let's go ahead and there's a little responsive reading I'd like to share with you. I'll, I'll read the italicized and you guys respond with the bold print. This is the day that you have made, Lord. Help us rejoice in it and be glad. Remind us of the privileges we enjoy as your people. To come to you in these moments, to confess our sins, to receive forgiveness and to forgive, to pray and to sing and listen, to renew our tired spirits and to rest in all your promises. Open our eyes to see you, Lord. Open our ears to hear your word. Visit us through your Holy Spirit and help us to celebrate our faith. Amen. Amen. Well, let us sing out together. We've waited for this day and we've gathered in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
there. Sing that out nice and loud. Show us your glory, Lord.
Jesus, you alone are high and lifted up. There's no other name under, under, under heaven or on earth that we will be saved but through Jesus, your name alone. And so we're thankful that uh, you came and you offered up your life for us on the cross so that we could be redeemed, that we could be reconciled. Even while we were still enemies uh, to the Father, you, you came and you reconciled us, Lord. And now we just need to turn to you in repentance and faith and, and follow you, Jesus, as our, our new king, the Lord of our lives. So, Lord, we worship you in this space and in this, in this time right now, gather together as your church, and we pray that you would continue to show up and move in our hearts and stir us as we build one another up in your church today and as we hear your word. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at this moment, you can take a seat. We've got a quick video and then another song to share with you. And the light to our path. And in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Sometimes in life, we can feel like a small boat tossed around in the darkness by the waves of life. But God is like our lighthouse. Through his word, he helps us find our way through the darkness back to the peaceful shore. Let's worship our God who lights our path. Amen. Yeah. So we want to share a song with you. Uh, we, our, I know our youth group knows it, and uh, some of our kids' ministry know it as well, called My Lighthouse. It's just a great song. So we, let's go ahead and stand back together. And if there are any kids in the room here, I see a few. We've got a team of people up here that are going to just share some, some motions with you. So this is a fun time to get active, to get some energy out, and, and jump around a little bit, okay? Does that sound good? Does that sound good, Levi? All right. <laughs>
let us go ahead and you can be seated and let us pray together. Uh, Lord, just as, as Clayton shared with us earlier in the video, uh, there are times in life, like right now in our country, where things can just feel very, very, uh, very uncertain and unsecure. Um, and perhaps even uh, we can be filled with fear at times. But Lord, we know that you are faithful and you say you'll never leave us or forsake us and your presence is with us, carrying us through the storms of life. And so continue to, to light our path with your word and your spirit in us and help us to be people that follow you, uh, that can be out in the world uh, sharing your, your good news with others uh, and helping others turn to you. So we're thankful for this time and we just pray now as we prepare to hear your word, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth today and that your, your, your word would transform our hearts and make us more like you, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good morning, church. Here's something that you probably didn't know about me. When I was in high school, I was pretty good at volleyball, right? Played on an indoor team, great group of guys, great coaches, traveling team. And, you know, I knew I wasn't the best. I mean, I wasn't bound for the Olympics or anything, but I could hold my own, you know? And between my sophomore and my junior years of high school, our squad went to a team camp down at uh, Duke University. Go Blue Devils. Woo! Yeah. Who said that? No, no, somebody needs some prayer after the service. So. so there were about 300 kids at this camp, about 30 teams from all over the Southwest. And the uh, Duke University club volleyball team, they were running the camp. So we got to be around those guys all week. And part of the, the week, that week featured a tournament style playoff between all of the high school age club teams. And on the last day, the winning team got to play the Duke college guys, the club team, right? And so my team won that tournament, and so we got to go play the college guys. And so we went in all jazzed up. We were feeling good about ourselves. I mean, these guys are only a few years older than us, right? So we feel like we'd give them a pretty good run for their money. It was bad. Like they, they wiped the floor with us. It was embarrassing. In fact, this is the first time I've spoken about it since that day, right? Um, it, it, was, it was amazing, like, the, I've never seen this level of play in my life up to that point in person. I mean, we'd watch the Olympics, we see those guys, but this was the first time in person we'd ever seen that level of skill, that level of supremacy, right? They were so much above and beyond anything that we'd ever experienced or played against. And honestly, it was overwhelming to see these guys play who were so much better than us. Have you ever come face to face with someone who was overwhelmingly superior to you or by something that was light years beyond what you thought it could be? Well, as we continue our series through the book of Colossians, we're about to meet someone. We're about to be introduced to someone who is overwhelmingly superior. Do you know what I'm talking about? We'll see, right? Now, remember that Paul is writing to a church whose context includes these certain false teachers among them who claim to have these superior answers, all the secret knowledge and these extra practices that they claim are the key to salvation and the key to um, successful spiritual life. And these influences were pressing the church to change, to change its focus from Jesus to other things, to conform more to their culture. Right? And so Paul's writing to encourage them to not give in, 
Don't give in to this. Paul wants him to realize that there is nothing better than Jesus. None of those messages and mysteries and agendas compared to the person of Jesus. Paul wants them to know that Jesus is supreme. Say that with me. Jesus is supreme. There's nothing that replaces Jesus, nothing that can be added onto or beside Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Christ plus nothing. Amen? And so in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, Paul tells us who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? Well, let's see what Paul says. Let's, if, if everyone who can stand, let's stand together as we declare this gospel truth together. So we're going to read aloud together from Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. And if you're at home watching, we encourage you to do the same. Stand up off your couch, put that coffee down, and let's read along as we declare the word of God. So let's read together. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray real quick. God, what we have in Jesus is far above and far beyond what anyone or anything else could offer. So Lord, we know we don't have to compromise. We don't compromise on the gospel because of who Jesus is. Lord, open our hearts and minds today as we dig into your word. Amen. You can be seated. So let's jump right in. First, what does Paul say? He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know, in John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, John says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known has made him known. No one has seen God, but Jesus has made him known, right? Jesus is the, in, the image of the invisible God. And you know that word image? In, in the Greek is the word icon. It's where we get our English word icon from, right? Yep. But you know, it's, it's, it's not as simple as that little icon on your computer or on your phone. You know, it's, it's greater than that. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and, read it with me, the exact representation. All right, let's get that scripture up because I want you to read it with me. Let's go to that. Let's go to that. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. There we go. The sun is the radiance of the God's glory and the exact representation of his being because he is God. He is the exact representation of God, Right? Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, if you really know me, then you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So Jesus accurately and expresses the being and the perfection of God. So what does this mean for us? This isn't just theology, okay? I'm not up here to just preach theology. What does this mean for us today? It means that Jesus is the only one that we can look to for the truth about God. Amen? Nothing else. Nothing that the world can show us. What, what can the world show us about God and about truth? Right? 
All other gods are man-made, made in the image of man. All, all the, the truth of the truth in the world changes according to our whims and our shifting moral standards. But we can know, we can really know the real God because we see him in Jesus. He is real. He's the image of the invisible God. Second, God, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. Still in verse 15, but add verse 16 to it. Paul says, the son is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now this might blow your mind, but Jesus, he made everything. He cre- he, Jesus is the creator. It's all through scripture. And Paul says Jesus himself created the thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. What does that mean? Well, remember that one of the things going on in in Colossae at this time was this idea that you can't worship God directly, that he's too high above us. He's too far removed for human access. So instead, we have to worship his lesser created beings, beings that are still higher than us, but lower than God, namely the angels. That was one of the ideas being promoted in Colossae. So Paul here is actually already, at this point in the letter, speaking against that aspect of the false teaching. He's saying, hey, you know those angels that you're worshiping and that you classify into different categories like thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities? Jesus made them too. Jesus created them too. And the creator is always greater than the creation. So to worship or even prioritize anything that Jesus has created over and above Jesus himself, you know what that's called? Idolatry. That's called idolatry. And so what does this mean for us? Again, not just theology. It means that all things that culture promotes is important. Even the things that we push on each other in the church, Jesus is greater. Amen. Say that with me. Jesus is greater. All things were created by Jesus and they were created for Jesus. Everything is for him. Everything serves him. So let's not let something that he created, even the good things that he created and gave to us his gifts, take priority over Jesus himself in our lives. Now, a quick word about the word firstborn, all right? We see this twice in the, in the, in the passage. Some, there are some who think that this, this means that Jesus is a created being, okay? He's the firstborn of creation, so they take that to mean he, was, he himself is created. Do you, know any, um, do you know any Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, right? Really nice people, dead wrong about Jesus, right? They, they believe that Jesus was a created being, the first created being, in their minds, literally the first to be born. It, you know, but what they fail to realize is that the scriptures uses the word firstborn to describe someone who has the, the privilege and the rank of being firstborn without necessarily literally being the first to be born, right? And this is all over scripture too. God called the nation of Israel his firstborn in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Even though they weren't the first people group, he made a group out of Abraham, right? And then David is called the firstborn in Psalm 89, verse 27, even though he was the youngest of how many sons? Eight. Eight sons. He was the youngest of eight sons, but called the firstborn, right? And to take this a step further, Jesus is clearly proclaimed the creator of all things, which he cannot be if he himself is a created being. Created beings don't have that power. Now, Jesus did exist before all created things, but not because he was created, but because he is eternal, right? 
So what firstborn means here is that he is the supreme one over all creation. He's greater. He's in charge. And like verse 17 says, he's before all things. He's the prominent one. So let's read the rest of verse 17 as we move on. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. So this is number three. Jesus holds all things together because he's the sustainer. You know, a while back I learned something interesting about helicopters. Did you know that there's a piece in helicopters called the Jesus nut? The Jesus nut. Now the technical term is the main rotor retaining nut. You want your rotor to be retained by something, right? Okay, when you go up in a helicopter. And so this is the nut that does that. It holds the the rotor in place. And the story goes that back in the Vietnam era, during the Vietnam War, a soldier asked an aircraft mechanic, hey, what is this thing? And like, what would happen if this thing came loose or or came off in the middle of a flight? And the mechanic goes, well, you better start praying to Jesus, you know, because this is the nut that holds the whole assembly together. And without it, it falls apart. It sustains the structure. And Jesus is the sustainer, the one who holds all things together. Again, look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three. We read part of this verse a minute ago. Now we're going to read the rest of it. We already read that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And the next, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Yeah, and that's okay. Read out with me when we go to the scripture, okay? But he holds the world together. He holds creation together. He holds the church together. What does this mean for us? Well, if he holds things together, it it implies that he could. He could choose to let go at any time. But praise God, he doesn't, and he never will, because he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Isn't that good news? We're all in the hands of Jesus. He holds us together, he makes us, and then he keeps us. He has the power to do so because he is supreme. How amazing is it that the one who made everything, we can trust him to hold it all together. Amen? Now, so far, Paul is talking about how Jesus is supreme over creation. And next, he goes on to talk about how Jesus is supreme over the new creation, over redemption, and over the people of redemption. So he already mentioned this in verses 13 and 14. If you were to back up, he says, For for he, Jesus, for, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, the kingdom of the Son, whom he loves. In whom, the Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's His kingdom, in Him we have redemption. But now He takes it further in verses 18 through 20. And so the next thing He says, number four, is that Jesus, let's read this together, He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus and no other person is the sovereign ruler of the church. Jesus and no other idea leads the church. We don't follow ideas. We follow a person named Jesus. Amen? And so when we come to this question of who runs a church, who rules the church, we look to Jesus because Jesus shapes the church, not us. Jesus tells us what the church looks like, not our own preferences. He's already told us. So let's make the church what Jesus wants it to be, formed in his passion and his vision, and his character, formed in his image, and his personal desires. Anytime we say something like, you know, the church should be, it better line up with what Jesus has said. Amen? Not only is he the head of the church, but he's also, number five, 
the origin and source of life for the church. The origin and source of life for the church. So in the middle part of verse 18, Paul says, Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So here, what Paul is doing is he's giving the grounds or the basis of Jesus' headship over the church, that he's the origin and source of life for the church. And so we see again the word firstborn. We see this word again. And in verse 15, Paul was talking about Jesus being the firstborn, the, the supreme one over creation. And here in verse 18, Paul is talking about Jesus being the firstborn, the supreme one to come from among the dead. That this is the true resurrection life, meaning that he would never die again. Have others been resurrected? Yeah, of course. There's numerous examples in the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament, and we have uh, Jairus' daughter, uh, Lazarus. You got Tabitha, uh, Eutychus. Eutychus, remember that guy? Eutychus. <laughs> so this dude, all right. So in Acts 20, Paul is preaching on the third floor of this building, right? And Paul, imagine this, he's going long in his sermon, okay? It was a problem even back then, sermons going long. And so Eutychus, he's... He's sitting in the window, and he's nodding off, and he falls asleep. Unfortunately, he doesn't fall into the house. He falls out of the house, three stories down to his death. Fell asleep during a sermon, okay? Uh, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. So what does Paul do? He goes down. He raises Eutychus back to life, and then Paul goes back upstairs, sits down, and has dinner, right? He just goes on with his day. And so now listen, loved ones. I'm pretty certain I do not have that power. Okay? All right. So, But Jesus has been the only one to die, to be resurrected, and never die again. So far. Right? But you know what? We're next. We're next. There is more resurrected people to come. Amen? There is more people who are going to see life after death and never see death again. He's going to give more people eternal life because of him, in him, we have that same promise, that same hope. His victory and his resurrection, they're ours. That's our victory too. Amen? Mm. Because he did it first and because he's the firstborn from among the dead, the most important one, in doing so, he established his place as the beginning, the origin, the start of the church's true resurrection life. And that new life comes from him. And it's an eternal life. So then what does Paul say next? He gives us a summary of what he said so far. So at the end of verse 18, he says, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Right? But it, it's specifically connected to Jesus' rising from the dead. So he rose from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He was already supreme over creation because he created it. And now because he rose from the dead, he's supreme over the new creation. If Jesus is supreme over creation and he's supreme over the new creation, what's left? Nothing. He is supreme over all of it. Who or what is supreme in all creation and in the church and in you and me? Christ plus nothing. Christ, greater than all things, greater than any pleasure, greater than any pain, greater than any other idea or philosophy or theology, greater than our sin, listen, greater than our politics, greater than our national citizenship. 
as much of a blessing as that is, greater than our passions, greater than our dreams, greater than the, our, our passions, our, our dreams, our causes that God leads us to. And so why go anywhere else? And that's Paul's message here, it's his point here. He says to the Colossians, don't be distracted and sidetracked by all these other ideas being thrown at you, not by legalism, mysticism, self-reliance, self-righteousness, all these ideas being promoted among you in your culture. Keep it focused and centered on the supreme one, Jesus. So in these three verses alone, Paul says a lot about Jesus. But then he goes on to seal the deal, right? Even repeat himself. Because Paul, he just, he just loves talking about Jesus. But also because he really wants us to get this. So we could say that this next, next one is number six, right? But it's really kind of a repeat and an application of, of number one. He says, Jesus is the fullness of God, the fullness of all things. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And we can take two things from these words and the surrounding context. First, that Jesus is clearly the fullness of God. Verse 15, he said he's the image of the invisible God. And he reiterates this in chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is the fullness of God. But also, and did you know that Jesus is our fullness? Jesus is our fullness. Back in verse 14 again, Paul says, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then later in chapter two, verse three, he says, in Jesus we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in chapter two, verse, verse 10, we have been brought to fullness. Okay, so as Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being, the very fullness of God, in him we find our fullness. In him we find our completion. We are complete in him. We are defined and identified by him alone. And we don't let anything else define us. Not our sin, not our past, not our mistakes, not others' judgment of us, not, not our political stance, not our hobbies, not our personal passions and social causes, which God leads us to these things. He gives us passions. He gives us causes that we care about. That's part of following Jesus as he raises up these concerns in our hearts and our lives, but at no point does he want us to be defined by them, lest they become idols. Christ plus nothing. There are many things that the gospel leads us to do and to speak on and to act on, but those things don't define us. The gospel defines us. And finally, number seven, or number five, repeated, we see Paul reiterating that Jesus is the reconciler of all things to God. The reconciler of all things to God. Did you know that God is in the business of reconciliation? It's what he does. And church, this is important for us today. In verse 20, Paul says, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And when Paul says things in heaven, he's again speaking of, of all creation. That's how powerful his reconciling resurrection power is, is that all of creation is reconciled to him as he is supreme over it. But Paul also says things on earth are reconciled to him. The truth is, there's a lot of things on earth that are in the process of being reconciled to God. We ourselves, for example, we have been reconciled, 
but we are still being reconciled in his character, in his image. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And back in our text today, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says Jesus did that by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Shed on the cross. And that it reconciles us to God when we were once alienated, when we were once spiritually dead, we were once condemned. But Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Because we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and this is the vertical work of redemption, of reconciliation, humankind to God. You see two, two pieces of the cross, right? One goes up. Which way does the other go? Horizontal. horizontal, okay? Did you know that there is the horizontal work of reconciliation? All of Jesus' talk about forgiveness, okay? And living in peace with one another, dying to ourselves to serve God and one another, to give us the means to restore broken relationships in our lives, to heal and reconcile us to each other, when, 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 we, when we hurt each other, when we sin against each other, when we offend each other, God gives us the power in the gospel to reconcile with one another. Did you know that the health and the peace of our relationships with one another as image bearers of God himself is just as important to God as is our, our relationship with him? Did you know that? And he wants it all because he's supreme over it all. Paul repeatedly in this passage says, all things. Let's look at our main passage again. And we have it up there, just simple white on black so you can see it. Now watch this. Go ahead, Bill. Boom. All things. You think there's a a pattern here? You think there's an emphasis here when it comes to the things that Jesus is over, that he's in charge of, that he's superior to? He wants every part, all of it holding nothing back. Nothing escapes his supremacy. And that includes our relationships, how we care for each other, how we serve one another, how we see each other, how we treat others, how we speak about others, how we lift up the broken, how we care for the orphan, how we love the widow, and how we fight for the cause of the oppressed. Paul and and Jesus himself repeatedly take this so much farther than the virtue of getting along and being nice to each other. Let's jump back to that 2 Corinthians 5 passage. We're going to read the rest of it. We already read this part. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here's the next part. And he gave us the ministry, say it, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. This means that as Christ does not count our sins against us. We don't count our sins against each other anymore. And let's finish the passage. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have the ministry and the message of reconciliation, which is both vertical and horizontal. Now, to say that there's quite a bit of unrest in our nation, even our world today, that'd that'd be an understatement, right? And, And listen, loved ones, I am not making a political statement here. 
This is a sermon, not a Facebook post. And you know, I mean, let's blame Paul. He's the one talking about reconciliation here. I'm just trying to tell you what it means, right? One of the greatest miracles of the gospel is that these kinds of dividing walls between people, whether they're broken relationships and offenses against each other, or whether they're racial divisions or national divisions, one of the greatest miracles of the gospel is that these dividing walls can come crashing down. This is why so many Christians feel so strongly about it because it's a direct implication of the gospel. It is a gospel mission, not just some fancy social justice fad or hashtag. But it has to start with his church. It has to start with those who name the name of Jesus Christ because he has reconciled all things to himself and he has given us, us, the ministry and the message of reconciliation. This is part of our inheritance, I heard another pastor say this week. So we have to see speaking up about injustice and working to overcome those systems that actually are unjust as necessary and something which, for which we have much work to do. Our supreme Jesus reconciles us to God. And the Colossians, they needed to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled to God because otherwise we are alienated from God and we are enemies of God. But our supreme Jesus, this is the good news, brought us together with God. Through his supreme death on the cross, he made a way for us to be right, to be reconciled with God. And when we're reconciled with God through Jesus, Paul tells us what we become. We become holy because of his holiness. God sees us no longer as marked by sin. We are free from that accusation. We are free from that guilt and shame. And in growing measure, we are even, we've become free from the power of sin as we follow him. So why would we turn to anything else? Why would we let anything else define us? Why would we give in to those pressures of the world? Why would we let others turn us away from what we have in Jesus? Why would we let anything else, good or evil, define us? We love and serve a supreme Jesus, the superior Holy One. Amen? There's no one better. There's no one higher. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the testimony of these words and what they mean for us each day in terms of our discipleship and, and who it is we follow. Our supreme Lord and Savior, Jesus creator and sustainer of all things, the head of the church, the one who has led us into redemption and to right standing before God and who forms us each day more in the likeness of himself. Lord, in this, in this day and age where so many offer different answers, different ideas of truth and spirituality, Lord, may your church shine in the darkness as we sang. May we lift high the majesty of Christ, the incomparable nature and person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may Jesus and Jesus alone be our leader, our guide, and even our very definition and identity. Well, we love you and thank you for this truth that we can cling on to, the assurance we have in Christ. And may we all be formed in his character and his likeness. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, as we prepare to close, we just wanted to share a song with you. Let's go ahead and stand together. It's one that came out, you know, several years ago. Um, but I love this song for this, for this passage specifically because the writer of this song uh, wrote it based on this passage of Scripture. And it's just almost word for word taken out of uh, for, uh, Colossians 1. And so um, it's just a song called God of the Ages. And as we sing it, feel free to catch on and, and sing along with us. Uh, just a powerful p- proclamation again of the supremacy of Jesus, that there's no, one, there's no one higher, there's no one greater than our Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, let, us, let us worship together. Is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. He is the first, the last, the one who matters most. He is creator, ruling, sustainer.
Jesus, this morning, we worship you, Lord. There's no other name above your name, Lord, and we're thankful that you are our King and you are our Savior. You're the one who, who chose to, to give us life and to not leave us in the pit. You brought us redemption. We're thankful. Amen. Everyone say this with me, Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. Amen. Well, I'm going to leave you with a benediction, and then uh, we're going to just have you seated, and then there's going to be some instructions for dismissal. So let's bow your heads uh, with me. May the Spirit of Christ, who is the fullness of God and who holds all things together, may he go with you out into the world, even in the midst of the world that seems chaotic and, and crazy at times, but our, our Savior is holding all things together. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.